Amen. Praise God. Again, thank you guys for uh, joining us here at City Light this morning as we wrap up our series uh, on, on the, the mission of this church the vision of this church, the mission and the values of this church, discovering the heartbeat of City Light Pulse. Um, it is, uh, we've, we've been talking about that our, you know, at the end of the day, it's Jesus that gives the church existence, but why does this particular church exist? Why doesn't, why don't we just uh, pack our bags and go link up with other church? And so, and so the reason why this church exists is because of the things that we've been talking about over the course of the last seven weeks and that what we'll conclude on uh, here today. Dedicated discipleship. Dedicated discipleship is the ideal of living our lives and, and, and living our lives in a way that seeks to make disciples in everything we do. Um, you heard a little bit of that even in terms of why I serve, the why I serve interview this morning with Heather Clark. Heather Clark is serving on our creative arts team. He's behind the scenes making, uh, making all of our graphics that we use both in, inside of our uh, worship gatherings, but also uh, um, oftentimes on social media. But Heather Clark, in, in doing that, Heather Clark is serving in an effort to make disciples. She's leveraging that tool. She's leveraging that gift. She's putting lips up on the screens that not only can you just kind of hear us sing it, read those lyrics and see those lyrics and allow those lyrics to, to embed, get inside of your heart. And, and in so doing, there is training happening. As a matter of fact, it's one of the reasons why we labor diligently over our songs, because we know that our songs are training for you. And so we don't want to just sing any song. We want to make sure that the song that we sing is worshipful, but it's also training you and it's equipping you and it's discipling you. And so Heather is serving in the area of discipleship, dedicated discipleship in that area. She's leveraging that. That's not the only thing Heather does, but that's one of the things that Heather is doing in the effort to both be disciple as well as make disciples, all right? And so everything we do should have as its aim making disciples of Jesus Christ. We should be pursuing that in the things that we're doing, both discipling, that means following him, as well as disciple-making. That means going out and, and seeing that others are brought in to him, all right? Does that make sense? And so that's what we want to dig into this morning is this ideal of discipleship, this ideal of disciple-making, and there is no clearer text in Scripture, obviously, than Matthew 28. It is called the Great Commission by most that, most that are familiar with it. The Great Commission, in other words, it is, the, it is the sending out of the church by Jesus Christ. So I want to dig into this text a little bit this morning and find out exactly what does it really mean. I want to ask a few questions this morning. The first question I want to ask is, why do we go? Why do we go and make disciples? Matthew 28 says, verse 18, And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Now these are Jesus' final words. These are some of Jesus' obviously, if they're final, they must be important words. So Jesus, um, as he is preparing to leave, he says, All authority is given to me. To me from heaven or uh, all authority uh, of heaven, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore. Why do we go? We go because all authority has been given to Jesus. All authority has been given to Jesus. The resurrection brought a validation to us that Jesus had been given all power by his father in heaven. 
The scriptures are not vague about the authority that we should see when we look at Jesus, despite what a lot of popular opinions may say, because you, you'll oftentimes hear people say things like, well, the scriptures never declare Jesus as God, and I beg to differ. It says it oftentimes. For example, when you look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 27, he says, all things have been handed over to me by my Father. All things have been handed over over to me by my father. And no one knows the son except the father, and no one knows the father except the son, and anyone to whom the son chooses to reveal him. The son has revelatory power. The son has possession over all things as a result of his father giving him these things. John chapter 17, verse 1 and 2, uh, moments before Jesus' death, he is praying to his father, and he says in verse 1 of chapter 17, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that your son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. That's coming out of Jesus' mouth. He says, I have authority over all flesh. I have the power to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. That doesn't sound just like a good dude. Are you tracking with that? Sounds like somebody, it sounds like someone that, 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 that is far more powerful than, 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 we could ever, than we could ever dream of. Sounds like God. Paul, one of the very first skeptics that we read about concerning Christ, a, 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 a man who spent a great deal of his life persecuting the church only to become one of his greatest disciple-makers, says of Christ in Romans chapter 14, he says this, for to this end Christ died and he lived again, that he might be the Lord, both of the dead and of the living. He is the Lord, the, the, the master over dead and living. What's included in, and in, 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 or what's outside of dead and living? Anybody? Nothing. Dead and living. He is Lord over all. Contrary to what's been said in our day and our time and in days and times, there is no confusion as to how everyone in the Bible saw Jesus Christ. He was the Lord and the Savior of everyone and everything. And he, he declares in Matthew 28 that as he rises, that he rises with all power in his hands. So again, why do we go? We go because all power in the universe belongs to Jesus. Meaning that he commands our going. He's the boss of the universe. He gets to call the shots, doesn't he? So he tells us to go, and what do you say? No? You say, no, yeah, okay, I'll go. So part of the reason is that he commands our going. If everything belongs to Jesus and he holds power over everything in heaven and on earth, then we can safely reason that he is also over us. And so we, so we go because he tells us to go. Now, for people like us, 21st century Americans, 21st century Westerners, very few things are more valuable to us than our autonomy and our independence. And so we are most comfortable with the idea that we are in control of our lives and that no one can tell us what to do. No one can tell us where to go in life, and no one can tell us how to live our lives, and no one can tell us who we can love in our lives, and no one can tell us what we should, what we should and should not do with our lives. This is a very powerful slogan. It sounds good to our Western ears, 
But it ain't how Christianity works. All authority has been given to Christ. It is why he's called Lord. It is why he is called Master, Owner. The Word of God says in Philippians chapter 2, verse 9 through 11, that God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Those who call him Savior must realize that they can only do so by calling him Lord. You can't call him Savior without calling him Lord. You can't call him Savior and then say, I get to live my life however I want to live. I get to do whatever I want to do. Nobody can tell me what I should or shouldn't do. If you call him Savior, then he gets to tell you what you should and shouldn't do. He gets to tell you how to live your life. He's Lord. See, the disciples of the ancient days were known primarily by their relational or by their, by, their not, by their relationship with knowledge. The teachers shared knowledge and they received knowledge. But see, the disciples of Christ are slightly different because they were to be known not just primarily by knowledge, but knowledge with obedience. As they learned, they obeyed. Matthew 28 captures that in verse 20. It says, teaching them to observe, Right? Go make disciples, and don't just teach them, but teach them to actually follow. Teach them to actually obey the things that I've taught you, the things that I've shared with you. The dynamic of becoming a disciple of Jesus is a dynamic that comes with teaching with obedience. Not just intake of data. Not just intake of knowledge. It's not to say, oh, man, that was a great church service, you know, Really learn some interesting thing about Jesus today. No, that's not what you're here for. You're here to listen and then obey. Listen and then observe. Read and then follow. Does that make sense? We'll come back to that in a little bit. But nevertheless, the essence of possessing authority is having submission to it. So the call of the Lord means to recognize his authority over our lives. It means to search out his teaching. Read his, read his scriptures. And then obey them. And what we, have heard say, what we have heard him say regarding the disciples is this. Go, therefore, and make disciples. So we go simply because he tells us to. But him having all authority and all power on earth also means that we go because he's empowered us to. We go because he tells us. And we're supposed to do as the master says. But we go because the master has all power, meaning that when he tells us to go, he doesn't tell us to go powerless. He has all power. And so he can give us the power to go. So we go because we don't go alone. If he has all power and all authority, then that means he has all the means available to our going. He has the power to aid us as we go. He has the power to aid us as we make disciples. So we go because he not only commands us to go, but he empowers us to go. We look at Luke chapter 24, verse 46. It says this, Christ said to them, thus it is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead 
and that repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all nations beginning from Jerusalem. You are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending the promise of my Father upon you, but stay in the city until you are clothed with power on high. And so saying, I want you to be witnesses and I'm going to empower you to be witnesses. And how does he do that with his Holy Spirit? So somebody, so, so, so you were saying, well, well, I would go, but I, I don't know. I'm just not, you know, I'm not that smart. I'm not as bright as some of the guys in the church or, or some of the ladies in the church. Or I would go, but I'm just not, I, I'm not as well-spoken as some of, the, some of the ladies in the church and some of the, some of the guys in the church. I would go, but, you know, and so we got all these reasons why. But God is saying, go, and I've empowered you to go. You're not going because you're well-spoken. You're going because he told you, and you're going because he empowered you to. You're not going because you're highly intellectual. You're going because he told you to, and you're going because he empowered you to. That's why you go. Are you tracking with that? Well, why else do you go? You go because he is worthy of going. If he carries all power, then it means he is worthy of our going. Every knee shall bow, not just because we've, made, we've been made to, but every knee shall bow because he is worthy of that submission. He is the God of the universe. He is the preeminent, the firstborn, the Bible said, of all the new creation. In other words, he's the first that comes along. All the new creation is found because or found in him and through him and of him. The Bible says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. Later on, it says that the Word was made flesh, and who can we be speaking of? We're speaking of him. He is worthy of your going. Creation is held by him. It's sustained because of him. It is kept through him, and so he is worthy of your going. It's not just random guy that you're going for. This king of the universe that you go on behalf of. He is worthy of your going. And so the next question, we, we've answered the question, why? The next question is who? Who do we go and make disciples of? Verse 19 says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Every person who desires not only to know of him by learning what he has said, but to actually know him by, by observing what he said is a, is a candidate of discipleship. The Christian's discipleship is not limited to a certain ethnicity of people, African, European, Asian, Hispanic. The Christian's discipleship is not limited to a certain gender of people, male or female. The Christian's discipleship is not limited to a certain class of people. Those who may be rich and upper class and moving on up with the Jeffersons or those who may be struggling to make working class and temporary laid off and struggling and surviving like the Evans family. Some of y'all don't know what I'm talking about. Y'all need to go and Google good times. Go and Google the Jeffersons. Some of y'all, I could get an amen from some of y'all. Amen. The rest of y'all, I don't necessarily know if Christian discipleship is reserved for you because I don't even know Jesus died for you. I don't know anything about good times with Jeffersons. 
The Christian discipleship is not limited to a certain standard of morality. The, the gospel is available to the lifelong self-righteous, and the gospel is available to the lifelong sex worker. The gospel is available to the baker, and the gospel is available to the convenience store thief. Throughout our shared history, Christians have typically understood that this shapes where we go. For example, we cross the oceans of the Atlantic and the Pacific and in the Pacific in search of European and African and Asian brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus. And we cross the northern and the southern borders of our United States in search of Hispanic and Canadian brothers and sisters who don't know Jesus. And we donate to missionaries who are on the ground doing the work. And we go ourselves to the places abroad to do the work. However, throughout our shared history, Christians have not always understood that this shapes not only where we go, but how. It is not just a location that we go to, but it is a people that we go to. The word nations in this text means ethnos, ethnicities, peoples, people groups. So there is no limit to where we go, but there is equally no limits to who we go to. And it's important. Because too many times we are trying to make our decisions on who is deserving of receiving this gospel. So a lot of times we don't even have a, a problem going to a place, even though we have a problem going to a people within our place. We may travel to Africa to share the gospel, but we, we may reject the idea that our African-American neighbor across the tracks or our white neighbor across the tracks is worthy of being welcomed into our own church. In fact, the history of the American church shows us funding missionaries to Africa while simultaneously denying worship to Africans for fear that their faith would make them believe that as brothers and sisters they should be treated equally. And vice versa, my Hebrew Israelite friends say that there is no room for white people in God's saving grace, and so they fight for separatism. Some say that we have no room for someone who leans liberal, and others may say that we have no room for someone who leans conservative. And so we travel, and we travel to Asia to share the gospel. Across the street. Jesus' command to go and make disciples of all nations ensures that our gospel is taken across the oceans, but it also ensures that our gospel ensures that our gospel is taken across the street. His command to go and make disciples of all nations ensures that our gospel makes room not just for churches to be planted, but for churches to be unified. The command to go and make disciples of all nations was never intended to simply make churches of the nations, but it was intended to make a church for the nations. The church for all. You're tracking with that. There's opportunities for us to engage the nations right here. America is a nation of nations. And so we must go out, but we must also ensure that what we're doing here embodies the call and the command to go and make disciples of all peoples. You're tracking with that. So how do we go? Verse 19. Go, therefore, make disciples of all nations, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. The Greek, the Greek in this text unpacks the verb, make disciples. 
with three different participles, go, baptize, and teach. And so make disciples is the verb in this, in this, in this text. And then that verb is supported with three defining participles, go, baptize, teach. I'm making disciples by going, baptizing, and teaching. Does that make sense? Our discipleship is not, in other words, wait and see. It is go and tell. Our natural posture, right? That's our natural posture. And so because that's our natural posture, we come up with all sorts of ways or all sorts of reasons why we should wait and see. Because wait and see is a lot safer. Wait and see requires a lot less energy from us. Wait and see leaves no threat of being rejected or even ostracized. Right? So I would open my mouth and tell somebody about my faith. Or I would invite somebody, you know, to my church. Or I would say, hey, man, we have this Bible study at my house. Or we have this Bible study over a friend of mine's house at church. Or we have this group that gets together and we eat, we eat on Wednesday nights or Sundays or you're more than welcome to join us. I would say that, but then I might get rejected. I don't really want to be rejected, so I'm just not going to say it. I'm just going to hope that over time they'll just kind of see it, right? They just happen to drive by and they're like, hey, man, look at that. That's Brian's car over there. I wonder what they're doing. I guess I'll drive in and see what they're doing. No, that's not, that's not going to happen, folks, right? It's not, it's not going to happen. So, so, so versus wait and see, we must go and tell if we are to actually make disciples. See, we want to simply hope and we want to simply pray that folks will come on their own to Christ, but Christ commands us otherwise. Disciple-making is an active effort. We must go. We must go into the workplace. We must go into our schoolhouses. We We must go into our homes, even our homes, and make disciples of all people. But then notice the other two participles. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is an act of obedience that is reserved for those that come to faith in Christ Jesus, those who come to believe in their heart that Jesus Christ lived a perfect life and died as a satisfactory substitution for our sins, and that we receive that sacrifice by trusting him with our lives, by confessing him Lord and by confessing him Savior. Baptism is the reflection that we have been crucified with Christ and now we have been raised to new life with Christ. No longer the same, a new creation with the Spirit of God living on the inside of us. In other words, baptism is a mark of Christian conversion. But notice that baptism is not the end of disciple-making, even though baptism is one of the primary marks of conversion. And I need you to understand that. See, conversion is, pri- is a primary moment of discipleship, but conversion is far from the only moment in discipleship. One commentary explains it this way. This program of includes making disciples or learners such as they were themselves. That means evangelism in the, in the fullest sense and not merely revival meetings. Making disciples and learners as they were is what Jesus is telling them to go and do. Go and make disciples like you. Are you tracking? And making disciples like you requires more than a tent revival. Making disciples like you requires more than handing someone a pamphlet. Making disciples like... Now, that may be all you can do with particular people in this day and age. And 
I might not be able to get to that person. I might not know that person. So I might just have one conversation with that guy. And if I got one conversation and I give them Jesus, then bless God. But understand, disciple making is more than that one conversation with every single person around you. You're tracking with that. One of the deficiencies in the American church, the 21st century westernized American church, is our connection of discipleship to merely conversion. And that is part of the reason why we end up seeing um, this, this idea where we, we, we grow disillusioned because conversion doesn't seem to be changing everybody like we think it should. In other words, we, 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 when, we talk about, when we talk about answering the questions regarding the deficiencies of the Christian church in America, we, we talk about emotional deficiencies or we talk about relational deficiencies or we talk about social deficiencies, we talk about lack of discipline, lack of self-control. We say, well, I got an answer to that. Just preach the gospel. It's like, okay. That's true. If your understanding of the gospel is my understanding of the gospel, it's true if you understand that the good news of Jesus Christ is infused in all that Jesus says. And so if you're talking about not if you're talking about preaching the gospel along with its implications, walking with someone to understand those implications of the gospel, then okay, I get it. But most of us aren't talking about that, are we? Most of us are talking about preach the gospel. In other words, hey, Brian's gonna get together on Sunday, or he's gonna get us together on Sunday morning, he's gonna preach, and everything's gonna work out, you know, and there's gonna be no more emotional trauma or no more social issues, and everybody's gonna know how to manage their finances from here on out. And it's gonna be great, you know. He's just it's going to let them preach every Sunday. That's not disciple-making, folks. That's, 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 that's useful. That is, that is primary. That is essential. But that's not disciple-making. Disciple-making is not just saying Jesus died and rose for you. Disciple-making is teaching everything that Jesus said while he was here. Disciple-making is teaching everything that his disciples taught when he left because they were left with his teaching. Disciple-making is sharing the word of the law and the prophets, because understanding that helps us understand Jesus more. Disciple-making is holistic. Dr. Carl Ellis talks about disciple-making in this way. He says, true discipleship happens, happens actually both pre- and post-conversion. Because true discipleship is not just merely conversion. True discipleship is helping bring people from foolishness to wisdom. Our culture, our culture has taught us foolishness and clothed it in wisdom. And true discipleship is taking, taking a person from the foolishness of this world to the wisdom of God. And folks, that just doesn't happen in an hour on Sunday mornings. Are you tracking with that? Paul articulates it this way. He says that in, in Colossians chapter 1, verse 28, him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. That's the essence of disciple-making. That's the essence of discipleship. He says, we proclaim him. In other words, he is the aroma in everything that we say. 
In other words, when I tell you to love somebody, I'm not just telling you to love somebody because love is a cute, you know, a cute emotion. I'm telling you to love them because God loved us first. And I'm pointing to the cross and I'm saying, look at what Jesus did. Look at how Jesus loved. When I tell you to forgive somebody, I'm not just telling you to forgive somebody because it might help us get along in this, in this climate or this culture. I'm telling you to forgive somebody by pointing you to Jesus and saying, look at how much Jesus forgave us. And so it's him that we proclaim. Everything that we say and we do, we're pointing back to him. But we're also warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom, meaning that we are using everything that God has given us in his word to both form people and correct people, to shape and mold, but also to discipline and to warn. Not just limiting our instruction to God loves you, but also including because he loves you, he calls you to flee sexual immorality. And because God loves you, he calls you from laziness. And because God loves you, he calls you to exercise discipline and finances in order to have money to be generous to the mission of God and to the people of God and to those without funds. And when, and when you say, well, well, I'm trying, man, but I failed. And we say, well, God still loves you, right? That's discipleship. It's walking with people, even in their failures, and being willing to say, God still loves you. Come on, let's keep going. Paul says the discipleship is seeking to present everyone mature in Christ. No child left behind, right? No babes left behind. Everyone declares themselves disciples of Jesus Christ. Disciple-making is walking with those people and saying, let's bring you to maturity. Let's teach you how this, how this is fully lived out. Come on, brother, let, me, let, me show you, let me show you some of the things that God has shown me in marriage. Let me just show you some of the things I've learned. Come on, brother, let me show you some of the things that I've learned in parenting. Do I have it perfect? No, but let me just show you. Hang out with me and let me just show you. This is what disciple making is. Paul says that he toils and struggles with all his energy that he powerfully works in, within me. In other words, he has all authority, so he empowers Paul to disciple make, right? But Paul is not wasting the energy that he gives him. He says he toils with it and he struggles with it. In other words, disciple-making will be inconveniencing you. Are you, you tracking with that? Because we want disciple-making on convenience. Right? In other words, you know, we're looking at this schedule that we got and, oh, man, so many things going on. Hopefully I can fit some time in for some people maybe to love them a little bit. You know what I mean? That's, that's how we kind of look at our schedule, right? But Paul says, I'm toiling and I'm struggling to present people mature in Jesus. I'm laboring. I'm working. This is not easy for me. And so, yeah, it will, it will inconvenience us. But why do we do it? I have all authority. So I command you to go and make disciples. And I have all authority. Yes, I empower you by the Spirit. And I have all authority. 
And so it means that I'm worthy to go. Lastly, who goes with us? Verse 20 says, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. I'm with you. You know, one pastor, one pastor in a book that I skimmed through in preparation for this, um, he wrote about his first days arriving at his new church and, and, and that, he was, um, that he, was, he was set to pastor. And, and he was, you know, thinking to himself, what an amazing potential that this church has here. He looked at the talents that the church and said, man, this is an amazing, this church has so much potential. And he looked at the economic healthiness of the church and he said, man, there are so many good things that this church can do for this community. And he looked at the biblical knowledge that was, that was prevalent in the church. He said, man, there are so many, uh, so many things that we can teach people and so many ways that we can use this knowledge to teach and educate people about. Man, there is so much good that can be done for the kingdom. And then he said he stopped and he repented. And he said he repented because he realized that ultimately none of that matters if God doesn't go with us. And so he said ultimately the church doesn't have to have all the money. The church doesn't have to have all the smartest biblical theologians. A church that doesn't have to have all the talents on the surface. A church just needs Jesus to go with them. Jesus promises to those that are walking with him, to those that are following him, to those that are seeking to go and make disciples. He says, I will go with you. And so if your concern is whether or not you're gifted enough, if your concern is whether or not you got enough funds, if your concern is whether or not you got enough time or, or talent, your concern is whether or not you can speak well or whether or not you know, you know all of the Bible backwards and forwards. Let me assure you that I want you to be talented. I want you to learn the Bible. I want, I want you to be financially stable and secure. But I want you to go not because of any of those things. I want you to go because God is going with you. I want you to open your mouth and I want you to tell people about Jesus because God is there. I want you to spend time with people and I want you to have a lunch, lunch with a brother and Say, hey, man, let's just pick this up once a week. Let's just do this for a year. Because God is there with you. I want you to pour your life out and pour, pour your energy out serving people and sharing, sharing the love of Jesus Christ and showing people what healthy marriage looks like, showing people what healthy parenting looks like, showing people what broken marriage looks like, showing people what broken parenting looks like, showing, showing, showing broken marriages and broken people that are just trying to follow Jesus. And I want you to do that not because any of that is perfect, but because God is going with you. When do we go? You go now. Not now. Don't leave. <laughs> when, we, when we dismiss. You go. <laughs> you go. If you are a servant of the Most High King, go now. If you've been set free from the bondage of sin... And you've been delivered from death, eternal death, through his death on the cross. Go now. If you've been born again by the power of the Spirit, go now. No delays. No hesitation. No regrets. Go, therefore, into the world and make disciples of all nations.
baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. Lo, I am with you always, even until the end of the ages. Amen.